I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and this is The Truth of the Matter. This is the podcast where we break down the policy issues of the day. Since the politicians are having their say, we will excuse them with respect and bring in the experts, many of them from CSIS, people who have been working these issues for years. No spin, no bombast, no finger pointing, just informed discussion. In today's episode of The Truth of the Matter, I'm flying solo as Bob Schieffer is out of town. To get to the truth of the matter about a critical survey done by Navigate 360 and the Zogby Poll, which assesses the state of mental and physical safety and well-being in the United States, we have with us J.P. Gilbalt from Navigate 360 and John Zogby of the Zogby Poll. John, a few weeks ago, you issued the results of a Navigate 360 and Zogby poll to assess the state of mental and physical safety and well-being in the United States. First, let's give listeners a better sense of the poll. Who was polled and why did you decide in the first place to conduct this poll? Well, in terms of who was polled, it was actually two separate polls, same questions. One was a poll of a thousand adults uh, nationwide. The other, interestingly, was 316 17-year-olds nationwide in order to get a sense of where our younger Gen Z folks stand. This whole issue of not only COVID, but the anxiety, the pervasive anxiety that is sensed. Why did we do it? I think essentially we were happy to do it because we did a series of tracking polls after 9-11. 19 years ago. We found anxiety initially, and then we saw it dissipate over the course of weeks and then months. But in this instance, here we are several long months into COVID and, you know, the resulting economic fallout. And here we have real numbers that show the degree of stress and a deep concern and foreboding that people have. JP, can you weigh in on the question I just asked John as well? I can. You know, what was of particular interest to us as Navigate 360 and a company focused on safety was the state of sentiment is prevailing the U.S. relative to really what proportionate epidemics of suicide, of bullying, of trauma, of violence in the workplace, um, of active shooters across schools, and how these events are affecting adults and young adults in the aspect of going about their daily life and what they participate in. And then really trying to understand what do we do about it as a society? What were some of the key findings of the poll? First, John, let me ask you, and then JP, can you jump in as well? Well, when we looked at both sets of numbers, the kids and the adults, you find that around a three out of five feel that either they themselves or someone they know dearly will experience some sort of tragedy, a school shooting, self-harm, a suicide, something awful in their lives. Secondly, you know, what we discovered is that this entire experience over seven months has put a damper on a substantial number, over 40%, their sense of their future. If they feel that whether it's their schooling for kids or the parents' sense for their kids, or uh, they themselves 
are off track as far as their personal goals are concerned, their educational achievement is concerned. Thirdly, is the fact that three quarters, 70% for adults, 78% uh, for kids, feel that the only place that they're safe is at home. And then lastly, and this is, I think, probably the most significant, when we ask about preparedness, do you think your leaders understand what the problem is and how to deal with it? Do you think your school officials, your local officials, are they on top of this? And the marks are very low. Less than half, by and large, give good marks for awareness and preparedness. The other half give very low marks. And I thought that that in itself, that lack of confidence, is a story unto itself. Yeah, I would agree with those points that John just made. I think uh, in addition to those, what stood out for me was also in the poll that a majority of today's teens, over 60%, are thinking more about their physical and emotional safety than they did six months ago. I think that's a function of COVID, but other external factors that they face in schools every day. But I think even more so is how the respondents also attributed to not attending or participating in a day of school or in a day of work or another event because they had concerns for their safety and well-being. And I think at the end of the day, these sentiments have huge implications for workforce turnover rates or school boards or educators in the form of how are they promoting places of safety and how are they keeping people in schools and how are they creating a workplace of productivity and not absenteeism? And more importantly, how are we getting people back into society to create a thriving economy? Let's hone in on this for a second, on COVID especially. You know, I understand that there's a certain level of not feeling safe because of school shooters and everything. But then what you're really talking about here, and JP, you just brought this up, is the isolation that students feel from being educated online and not being in class, not being at school with their peers, maybe not playing sports, maybe not having other after-school activities. And I don't know if you can extrapolate that in your survey results for the same from work from home, but we're certainly all hearing about the kind of fatigue that COVID is giving us from being at home, not being able to go to school, not being able to go to the office, being stuck in our homes. And now that winter is coming, not being really able to congregate outside the way we were in spring and in summer and, and in early fall. So what do you guys think about that? And how did it play out in your survey? I'll just say, number one, what concerns me about what you just said is the prolonged isolation, especially on students and adults. When you look at the United States Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center study on school violence and looking at 14 or 15 acts of you know traumatic events in schools over the last 20 years. What you quickly see is that one, there were signals of the incident about to occur, but two, that the incident tends to follow some societal disruptor, some prolonged state of isolation and then a re-entry into coming back. And, and so what I worry about in this and what we're seeing and hearing in this data is we are seeing the mindset effects of isolation. We are seeing the mindset effects of kids having to bear 
a different society. And so I, I worry about what might come back, you know, six or, or 12 months from now based on, you know, history of what we've seen in incidents of the past. I worry about a lost generation, Andrew, you know, something akin to that lost generation after World War One, where expectations had been high for a newer and greater world and completely dashed by the horrors of war. In this instance, we have a real irony here that 16, 17-year-olds are the most adept at using technology to create a new level of sociability. And yet, what's been sewed on cushions, you know, for hundreds of years, you still need a hug. You know, you still need that personal eye contact, the hug, the bonding with real souls. And, you know, in many instances, it's months. I was in the store the other day, and uh, there was a mom there with a middle schooler waiting in the pharmacy line. And the girl said, gee, I really miss going to school. And mom said, I think we better take your temperature again, honey. <laughs> but the truth is, they really are missing it. Yeah. I mean, as the father of three teenage sons, you know, one's in college and he's on campus and they have hybrid classes. The other two are in middle school and high school and they're completely online. They're not able to go to school in person. And it's rough. I mean, they're very isolated. It's not easy being stuck in your room all day looking at a screen and trying to focus on your studies. It's not a fake sick day where you're home and hanging out with your friends and family watching TV. It's, it's not what it is at all. Yeah. And Andrew, you know, the thing I think is really important too, is that there is a percentage of our population, whether it's young or older in the workforce, their school or their workplace is actually the safest place. It's a place where the home is not the safe place. And we're in a period right now where we have percentages of our kids in the places they are the most threatened or worried about. And they have that absence of you know, friendship. They have that absence of supervision and mentorship that needs to be around them. And that's the big issue we're facing. If I could jump in again, all of this coming at a time when who do they count on to make them feel safe? The marks that our leaders, us, get, you know, whether again it's school officials or local government officials or church leaders is very low. So, all right, we're experiencing this, but who's got our back right now? Yeah, and I can't even state enough. We have to remind people that safety matters. We have to convey that their health matters just as much as business matters. So do they as a person. And just this week, I was reminded to continue to share with my own staff the importance of maintaining their own health, their own safety. If not feeling well, stay home. It's okay to take care of yourself. And so, you know, I think that's an important part as leaders and as this poll clearly shows, our employees and our school kids do not believe safety is paramount and there is enough being done. And, you know, it was amazing that, you know, over 50%, I think, of adults wouldn't know what to do in the case of an emergency. And there was some high percentage that wouldn't know how to report an issue. And these are real issues that clearly businesses and schools were not talking enough about and we're not doing enough about. So can you all tell me what are some of the numbers that stood out to you the most? It's the 59% of adults that felt that they themselves or someone close to them were likely 
to experience a violent critical incident or experience self-harm or contract COVID-19. I think that's astounding. It was 64% of 16, 17 year olds. Man, you have teenagers, mine are older, but you don't want your kids feeling that way. No, that's really a bleak number. Yep. And I think if anything, it's the overwhelming percentage, more than 70% said where they feel the safest is in their home. That's a pretty isolated society if that's the place we feel. And we know society really thrives on connectedness. And if the place we feel safe is at home, that's what stood out for me. So what should the American public take from this survey? It's not as easy as any one thing, but what are some of the key takeaways that the American people should take from this? And, and, and is there anything that's really actionable coming out of this? Yeah. So I think, number one, we have to have a conversation around what safety means. And it's important to us in our culture, in our workplaces, and in our schools. It shouldn't be secondary to everything else that goes on. So I think, number one, if we're going to be a thriving economy, if we're going to be a thriving school, if we're going to be a thriving community, we have to put safety and mental health at the top of the list. And we have to put education preparedness and procedures in place and conduct the right level of training that goes with that so that people do know what to do, that they do feel safe in the presence of risk. We're never going to be totally 100% risk-free, but helping people feel certain about what to do and how to do it and when to do it is important. And I think third is, especially in our schools, we have to reward positive behavior. Uh, we have to reward safe behavior as part of our school systems. John, do you think we can talk about issues of safety in this country anymore without them being politicized? At the moment, no, but we have to. And this is acute. And this is, you know, one of the messages that comes out of this. The first is there cannot be confusion at the top. There has to be clear direction. But that also means at school boards and city councils and churches, there has to be a policy. But, you know, that's sort of the part of the conversation. But as JP points out, within those schools and those institutions, there has to be a sense of restoring confidence. And that means, hey, if you've got to do the gun drill over 30 times before it's drilled into your head, then we have to do it. You know, if we have to do public safety measures, you can't be daydreaming anymore. Heimlich maneuver, you know, don't be yawning and looking out the window. This is life and death stuff. So looking at the bigger picture, what do we do to fix this sentiment? And, you know, clearly some of this is because of COVID and probably the extreme feelings are because of COVID, you know, as your survey shows. But there's a lot of underlying feelings in this survey too. So we have to look at the bigger picture here. What do we do to fix this and where do we even begin to start? You know, it's a great question. Part of why being a father of five, the oldest being a teacher, the youngest still in high school and watching all of the issues we're still plagued with in our schools and in our workplaces in terms of violence, suicide, bullying, sexual misconduct. What we're really talking about is a generational shift 
in terms of how we develop people and how we train and educate kids. And what we're talking about is social emotional learning and social emotional development. We're talking about how kids process what they're taking in today. What they're exposed to is far greater than it's ever been in terms of the digital online world, the people they're interacting with. And what's important here is how are kids absorbing that? How are they reacting to it? And how are they discerning between what is right and wrong? It's going to take time. But what we can do and what we can invest in in our schools and in our workplaces, really how people feel about what they're being exposed to and how they're handling it socially, how they're handling it emotionally. And then more importantly, how do we intervene as a society when signals are present? You know, I think about in all my years of looking at this, there are so many signs and signals of people in need. And too often, we're quick to dismiss them. We have to, as educators, we have to, as business leaders, we have to, as parents and mentors, actually intervene and help and then get people the help that they need. John, who do you want to take this survey and use it? Is it policymakers at the state, local level, federal level? What's the best use for this survey? You know, from the vantage point of a pollster, this is the sort of thing that starts, I think, with Homeland Security on a federal level. But it's also the thing that should be in the hands of every health commissioner and every governor in the United States. I would certainly encourage JP to take these results to the U.S. Conference of Mayors as well, which is a very innovative group. And as you know, it's the mayors who are the laboratory leaders of change. Certainly. Well, gentlemen, we're talking about a lot of bleak topics here, but is there any silver lining? Is there anything that gives you all hope for optimism? Well, I'm going to jump in and Navigate360 website gives me an optimism. So JP, give those details. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. And you can find the poll results and information at Navigate360.com. So you will be able to find information there. But, you know, one, we got to understand that the youth and people in general are incredibly resilient. And that always gives me hope and optimism. Two, it is companies, not just like ours, but organizations like Safe and Sound Schools, Sandy Hook Promise, the Society of Human Resource Professionals. There are great bodies of organization. And what I think I'm seeing more than ever is, you know, public and private industry, NGOs starting to work together to really address and handle some of these issues. So there is a lot of optimism in light of the bleak nature of, of what we talk about. Gentlemen, thank you so much for helping us get to the truth of the matter on these critical issues of the state of mental and physical safety and well-being of people in the United States. Really important. Go to Navigate 360 to find the results of this poll. And gentlemen, I hope to have you back very soon. Thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 